Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly and welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. We've got a packed show for you today. It was an interesting weekend. Joe Biden sent out a tweet, I responded, and Twitter lost its mind because it's a very shallow place. Uh, we'll talk about it in a minute. And we're also going to be joined today by Clay Travis and Dennis Prager, both of whom I'm very excited to talk to. You're going to love these guys. Uh, going to get to all of that just in one minute. But first, I want to tell you that I got a crash course in home title theft. And you better pray this crime never happens to you because it can ruin you financially. Here's how easy it is. You see, the legal titles to our homes are digitized and kept on government and business servers and in the cloud up above where they can be hacked. A cyber thief finds your home's title, forges your signature on a quick claim deed, stating, oh, you sold your home to him. I swear it happened. Done. Then he takes out loans against your home until all your equity is gone, leaving you in debt. And you don't even know that it's happened until the collection calls pour in. You're not protected by insurance, your bank, or common identity theft programs. You're basically up the creek without a, a paddle. Home Title Lock will protect you, however. Home Title Lock will put a barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect any tampering, they will help shut it down cold. So go to HomeTitleLock.com, register your address to see if you're already a victim, and then use code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. That's code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. So I mentioned to you that uh, it was an interesting weekend and I, you know, I followed the news developments day to day uh, as the presidential race got called, same as you did. Uh, and then on Saturday, as you know, the media declared Joe Biden the winner of the presidential contest and jubilant crowds took to the streets, packed in like sardines, because once again, your child cannot go to school or sports, but the coronavirus knows not to attack Biden supporters or BLM protesters or RBG mourners or NBA championship revelers. I am so sick of seeing these groups of people gathering in public like it's the gay 90s while lecturing the rest of us about civic responsibility and science and how we can't have Thanksgiving. And if you do, make sure it's outside for two hours max with masks on in between bites. <laughs> but I digress. So Biden was pronounced the winner, right? Trump has not conceded and continues his legal battle, which I will tell you does not appear robust. I've got nothing against Trump kicking the tires of our electoral process. He owes it to his voters to make sure their votes are counted. Even if none pans out, maybe it will be Trump's parting gift, right, to shed some light on flawed voting procedures that have long gone unchecked. Right now, it appears to me, however, that the margins are too big. They're too big for Trump to overcome, even if he can prove voter fraud here or there. If that is the case, Trump should do what he promised to do. Put America first and pass the torch. With or without a concession, Biden's going to take the oath of office in January. And his victory speech on Saturday was quite good. He promised to be a president for everyone, whether you voted for him or not. Right on. 
He should have stuck with just that. By later that evening, however, Mr. Biden appeared to have gotten a bit drunk on his own rhetorical wine when he added by tweet, quote, a nation united, a nation strengthened, a nation healed, the United States of America. Grandiose, yes, but it's also patently false. The nation is not united at all. It isn't strengthened, and it certainly isn't healed. The attempt to say otherwise is woefully out of touch. I tweeted that it sounded like something written by a man who had spent the last year in his basement. Perhaps it was aspirational. If so, the grammar was improper, but let's put that to the side. I'm all for unity, strength, and healing, just like I want all diseases cured and also world peace. But let's get real. It's not going to happen. People lost their minds over my response to Biden's tweet yesterday. How dare you challenge, dear leader? Unity is laudable. What kind of a person would challenge that? Oh, and by the way, Kelly, you're a pathetic, desperate racist who should hate Trump for insulting you. (laughs) Our country is more divided than it's been in decades. Tribalism is at a hundred year high. It is the elite snobs on the news and on the coasts versus the regular folks they detest and for whom the system does not work. It's the woke scolds who want to thought police you right out of a job, not to mention liberty of thought, whether you're left or right, by the way, versus the reasonable middle who wants to let people be and doesn't get off on hurting others. There is no bringing those groups together. Americans are not in the mood for unity, as the responses to my tweet, frankly, proved. They go to cable news by the millions still to have their worldview reinforced. They're on social media fighting and stoking outrage high on the dopamine rush. The politicians who represent them are not interested in compromise thanks to two things. Number one, redistricting that has made many districts all red or all blue and their congressmen accountable only to one party. And two, Citizens United, the Supreme Court case that I believe was rightly decided, but which opened the floodgates to corporate money and politics, ensuring a politician's loyalty to big donors, not little people. Now, no one wants to shake hands and make nice. Some people think Trump will finally go and things will get better because he caused this rift between us. But Trump did not cause this. He was a product of it. Barack Obama promised hope and change, but brought division and anger to Washington, shoving health care down our throats without the buy-in of the nation, weighing in on fraught racial cases without knowing any of the facts, lying to America about keeping their doctors and their plans, engaging along with his team in character attacks and personal insults far more than his predecessors. Obama admitted this on leaving office, saying the increased rancor in America was one of his greatest regrets. Trump did not cause this problem. Nor did he try to solve it with his frequent attacks and his petty insults and his thin-skinned nature. His supporters know this and many have hated it, but they've also appreciated having a leader who would not bow to a sanctimonious mob that clearly loathes non-leftists. Which brings me back to Biden. A nation united, a nation healed, 
Over the past four years, the Democrats, now touting that message, rejected the Trump presidency as illegitimate. They called for his impeachment his very first day in office. They started numerous criminal investigations against him and his family. They wasted a year on a BS Russian collusion allegation, only to then impeach Trump on another baseless charge. They attacked one of Trump's Supreme Court nominees as an alleged gang rapist. They tried to destroy Trump personally and professionally. And yet now that Biden's ascending, we're healed. Praise Jesus. But here's the real problem. Number one, the Democrats don't want unity. Maybe some in the center left do, but AOC and the squad, no. The political left on Twitter, no. Biden's got real unity problems right in Democrat central. And without cleaning that up, there's no point in calling for brotherhood. And what about the Trump supporters? They're not game for the group hug either. For four years, they have been called the dregs of society. It wasn't enough to go after Trump. Anyone who supported him was labeled a racist, xenophobic, transphobic bigot. Now that Biden's won, those 71 million Republican voters are supposed to simply choose healing. And all that stuff the left said about them being absolutely awful. Well, forget about that. Forget about all of this. Listen. Do you think that people who support President Trump and his immigration policies are racist? Anyone who supports this is supporting racism. Trump relied on a coalition and a core part of that coalition were racists. Yeah. Donald Trump is a product of the white man's, the anguished, nervous white guy's lizard brain. Those people who are supporting what he's doing here are racist, period. If you hold down the woman while the rapist is raping her and you didn't rape her, are you a rapist? These policies that this administration is putting forth are intentionally cruel, they are racist, and it is, a, it is our job as citizens to speak out against that. Now, does that mean that we're going to be violent? No. But does that mean that Sarah Sanders can have a nice, quiet dinner with her family when she's taking our tax dollars to implement this policy? I don't think so. You cannot come into this White House with the idea that these people aren't the enemy. They are. This president has radicalized so many more people than ISIS ever did. If you vote for Trump, then you, the voter, you, not Donald Trump, are standing at the border like Nazis, going, you hear, you hear. We all know now that he's a racist. He's a disgusting racist. Anybody who still supports this guy needs to look in the mirror and ask themselves if they are racist also. <laughs> ask yourself why the left would even want to unite with such people. Nazis, they said, racists and bigots and supporters of evil. And as it turns out, the targets of those smears don't appear to me to be in a mood to suddenly kiss and make up. But let's just say we embrace the sunny rhetoric for right now, okay? We have a kumbaya moment in which everyone gets a lifetime pass on the awful things they did and said during Trump, both sides. Then what? How unified are we really going to be if Biden does indeed try to pack the Supreme Court? If Democrats try to defund the police in your neighborhood? What about when critical race theory classes are mandated again in federal agencies, as Biden promises they will be, and white people are told to shut up and listen to how they are all white supremacists by nature of their pigmentation? Or how about 
when one turns on the Oscars or the Emmys or ESPN or CNN or sends a kid to college and hears messages of how Republicans are still, even under Joe Biden, bigots, racists and misogynists because they don't want race shaming or to have to say their pronouns or because they believe abortion is murder. Or when they find out that their job application has been blackballed because they supported Trump. That's turning into a thing. AOC is now demanding an archive of Trump sycophants for when they downplay their complicity. What could possibly go wrong with a member of the House majority keeping a list of Trump supporters we need to get? Michael Simon, an ex-Obama Biden guy, has just started the Trump Accountability Project, which he calls a permanent record, permanent record, people, of every Trump staffer, appointee and donor, quoting now, and even his endorsers and enablers. What does that mean? Well, Pete Buttigieg's campaign manager warned that employers thinking of hiring Trump staff need to know, quote, there are consequences for hiring anyone who helped Trump. Washington Post columnist Jennifer Rubin tweeted, quote, any Republican now promoting rejection of an election or making baseless allegations of fraud should never serve in office, join a corporate board, have a faculty position or be accepted into polite society. We have a list, end quote. Got it? No more jobs or polite society. The Washington Post, old democracy dies in darkness, is watching you, all of you, or at least those who want to investigate voter fraud. You got it? But it's damn time to unite and heal. And anyone who says no is a crybaby. Look, it has gotten ugly on both sides these past four years. And the truth is some wounds take a while to heal. Some are beyond repair. And sometimes, understandably, there's no interest in healing. I don't know if we're there, but I don't feel hopeful about unity. I feel hopeful about us, about reasonable people's ability to conduct themselves with dignity and kindness most of the time, and to love our families and enjoy our friendships, and not unfairly demonize anyone who doesn't think like we do. I think most of the country is still not that political, and that most folks don't get too agitated by one election or another. So that's that's hopeful. Whatever happens, we're still living in the United States of America, the greatest country on earth, where, at least for now, you are technically free to hold your own opinion, to think what you want and say what you want, to live as you want. And if people continue to try to erode these freedoms, you are free to fight back if you want. Maybe unity isn't the thing at all right now. Maybe liberty's the thing, the goal for now. And maybe that's just fine. So those are my thoughts for the morning. Um, if you want to get caught up on the nonsense that happened on Twitter, be my guest. Uh, but I think it's very telling that people had such a freak out in response to my questioning whether we really could be unified that Basically, it, it showed how ununified we are <laughs> and how awful we are to each other. Check it out for yourselves. Don't take my word for it. And now I'm going to get to Clay Travis in one second. But first, I want to tell you about Norton 360 with LifeLock. 
No one wants to deal with cyber threats or find out that their personal information has been compromised online, especially during the holidays. But with all the holiday gift shopping and browsing online, you could be one bad click away from a cyber threat headache. Get Norton 360 with LifeLock and help protect your identity and your devices against cyber threats. Norton 360 with LifeLock provides all-in-one protection with device security, identity theft protection, and a VPN for online privacy and more. You know how like you want to protect your internet connection when you're traveling? That's what you need. Help protect your private and financial information when you go online with real-time device protection. And if you have an identity theft problem, a U.S.-based identity restoration specialist will work to fix it. Browse anonymously and securely with a no-log VPN. It has bank-grade encryption to help keep your information, like passwords and bank details, secure and private. No one can prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor all transactions at every business. But Norton 360 with LifeLock is a powerful ally this holiday season. You know you're going to ramp up your online time. Save 25% or more off of your first year by going to norton.com mk. That's norton.com mk for 25% off. All right, and now we are joined by my friend, Clay Travis. Clay Travis, who started Outkick.com back in 2011, and he is killing it. Clay, great to have you here. Hey, appreciate you having me. Wild times, huh? Oh, my God. I mean, so can we just start with the whole call for unity and, <laughs> you know, a nation healed, Clay? We did it. A ne- we're healed. It's, Do you feel better? It, it's awfully convenient when you call for unity when you win, right? I mean, right. It, it's always just so uh, absurdly ridiculous when you consider all of the things that have gone on over the last four years and then. Joe Biden wins and people are like, hey, let's call for unity. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I am uh, just excited, hopefully, that uh, that the Republicans will take the Senate and basically that nobody can do anything in government for the next four years because there's just been such a height of incompetence. And uh, I, I'm excited that uh, that we're going to have divided government. And then to me, the real the real battle is coming in 2024 because Biden's not going to run again. There are going to be 20 Democrats, 20 Republicans. We'll see what Trump decides to do. But I'm already turning the page. You figure in 2022, most times in the first, uh, the, you know, the midterms of the first uh, first term, you end up losing a lot of seats. So I think Republicans may well take back the House in 2022. Certainly, they'll likely contend, uh, continue to have a strong position in the Senate, if not a strong majority. And then 2024 is going to be the real Donnybrook uh, because that's uh, I'm already turning my direction and my interest in that direction. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the the Democrats are poised to hold the smallest majority in 18 years in the House right now. And they're already sounding the alarm about an internal civil war. You want to talk about civility, unity, um, healing. They, they need to start at home because there was a there was a conference call uh, right before we got to the weekend among House Dems. And there was Rep, uh, Representative Abigail Spamberger. She's a Democrat from Virginia who was saying, listen, people, we need to wake up about our messaging to the American people. There's a reason we did not add seats but lost them. Here she is. Take a listen to her. The number one concern and things that people brought to me in my that I barely rewind was defunding the police. And we need to not ever use the word socialist or socialism ever again. And if we are classifying Tuesday as a success from a congressional standpoint, we look at being torn apart in 2022. In response to which, Clay Rashida Tlaib, who calls herself a democratic socialist, quickly responded, look, to be real, it sounds like you are saying stop pushing for what black folks want. 
So that's going well. <laughs> well, first of all, Rashida Tlaib is not correct. Nobody wants to defund the police. You know, this is one thing that I think all politicians would do uh, be better off for. Turn off the Twitter machine, right? Like, stop paying attention to what is trending on Twitter. It isn't the real world. It's a carnival funhouse mirror. I mean, the, the data reflects, Megan, uh, only 20% of black people are in favor in any way of defunding the police. And so I think you hit on something that's, that, that's going to be uh, a major issue, which is Trump was the great Satan, right? I mean, he was the uh, alliance factor that lots of people in the Democratic Party who disagreed on many different particulars could ally against because they disliked him, right? Now there's no great Satan to blame for things. And I am going to be fascinated to see how Joe Biden, who doesn't seem to be on top of his faculties and uh, political games, certainly, I think whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, he's not at the peak or the apex of his overall abilities, is able to handle a fractious party without there being someone for them to align against, right? He mm -hmm. still hasn't said what he believes about court packing. He still hasn't said what he uh, what he plans to do on so many different issues that are very much in vogue with the left wing of his party. How is he going to corral them and what is he going to be capable of? To me, it's going to be a fascinating story to follow. It's so true. And and meanwhile, you've got I, I, I always make a distinction between the left, capital L, and just normal liberals, most of whom are my friends. That's yeah, so like virtually every friend I have is, is a normal liberal. They don't believe in this nonsense. At all. I think most normal liberals sound like Andrew Yang, who are like, could you calm down with the cancel culture baloney and the defund the police? Like he he was on, I think it was CNN over the weekend and and kind of outlined the problems that the Democratic Party is having right now. I think we've got that. Stand by. I would say, hey, I'm running for president to a truck driver, retail worker, a waitress in a diner. And they would say, what party? And I say Democrat and they would flinch like I'd said something really negative or I just like I'd like turn another color or something like that. Uh, and there's something deeply wrong when working class Americans have that response to a major party that theoretically is supposed to be fighting for them. Does he have a point? I think I think he's 100 percent right. Look, um, when you come uh, the, what Trump did and, and may continue to do, we'll see what he wants to do going forward is he spoke to a great collection of Americans of a variety of backgrounds, which, of course, this isn't getting any attention, Megan, but I read in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend, you know, 20% of black men under the age of 45 voted for Donald Trump. I mean, that mm -hmm. is an extraordinary number. And I, what I wish had happened in the 2020 election, and I think COVID delayed it, Megan, was we were trending towards identity politics exploding, right? And to me, the twin pillars of, of, of things that I am opposed to the most in the country today, they're connected, but it's the twin pillars of identity politics plus cancel culture, because those mm -hmm. are you know inextricably intertwined. And I think they are cancer to uh, the American political process right now, regardless of what you believe. The idea that you could be canceled for a Facebook post or a Twitter post or as you well know, 30 seconds of, uh, of audio within the larger context. Like I do live radio every day. This is, this is fundamentally uh, the opposite of everything that America could stand for. And the analogy I like to make is, you know, this idea of going through, and, and you can use entertainment as a good example here, old jokes from comedians and saying, oh, we've got to cancel this comedian because we don't like this joke. I mean, th th this is insanity, right? It's ridiculous. And, and the, the way that it's being created is 
it's being used to advance identity politic culture. And I think what is happening is many different Americans, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, of all different religious, racial preferences, sexual preferences, whatever it is, they all have kids and they all have 14 and 15 year old kids. And they're sitting around saying, wait a minute, do I want my 14 or 15 year old kid held hostage because of something they did on Snapchat or because of something they did on Instagram uh, or the like getting kicked out of school, being, uh, you know, creating this universe where everybody is defined by 30 seconds of a decision, you know, when you're emotional with your phone in your hand. And I think that's honestly something that, that the next president of the United States is going to be elected on. I think COVID overwhelm that story. But that's to me where Trump was right. And I think he was on his way. If COVID doesn't happen, I don't know if you agree with me. I think Trump wins going away. I mean, the economy would have been on fire. I think he would have crushed Joe Biden in this election if COVID doesn't happen in 2020 when it does. And we got this vaccine news coming out right now. If COVID had just happened in December, you know, instead of February, he might have still crushed Biden. Um, And certainly if it happens in 2021 or 2019, I don't think this race is remotely close. And I think deep down Democrats know it and they know that their message is not resonating, which is what that clip from Andrew Yang that you played reflected. Mm -hmm. And I want to get to the vaccine news in one second because it it is interesting and the timing of it is pretty interesting, too. But I mean, I I think that wokeism was dealt a blow during this election, but I don't think it'll push anybody off of their ideology. Maybe smart centrist leftists or centrist Democrats will come out and say, this is baloney. Come, be smart, move on. But it's too ingrained. I mean, they they are, it's heartfelt by these people on the left. They, they need it. They need their identity politics to feel like they matter. They need to judge everyone else to feel like they're important. And even, you know, it comes from, first of all, we, we now have a, a vice president elect who has her pronouns in her Twitter bio, right? So we've gone from <laughs> Trump to that. And then and you've got Michelle Obama, right, who is one of the leaders of the Democratic Party. This is her message saying, you know, A, we have a lot of work to do to connect with Trump voters. And B, let's remember that tens of millions of people voted for the status quo, even when it meant supporting lies, hate, chaos and division. Yeah. Well, let me yes. give you a pro tip, Michelle. <laughs> Trying to connect with the Trump voters does not include telling them that they supported lies, hate, chaos and division just by voting Republican. This is an interesting theory that I have, Megan. I'm curious what you think on this. Barack Obama, if you went back and actually looked at his 2008 presidential campaign, right, what he ran on to beat John McCain, it was quintessentially a almost now Republican platform. Like 12 Mm -hmm. years later, much of what Obama stood for would be considered homophobic, uh, you know, like the fact that he wasn't in favor of gay marriage in 2008 when he won, that would be considered homophobic now, right? If a, if a Democrat so were true. running just 12 years later right now on that platform. But what Obama had, I, I think this is, this is a big, big takeaway. I think that Democrats have underrated Barack Obama's uh, political talents. And in 2008, and also I think to, uh, to a lesser extent, but also true still in 2012, Obama ran quintessentially on the American dream. If I, a mixed race kid from Hawaii with a funky name, right, can rise to the office of president of the United States, then the American dream is alive and well. We all have an opportunity to uh, to embrace the success that this country offers us. And that was his campaign. And I voted for him. And that was a belief system that I think translated very much, especially in 2008 across multiple parties, right? I think that was a unifying message. 
What is interesting is Obama didn't have to lean into identity politics because he was black and that was self-evident, right? You could look at him and be like, okay, this guy looks different than everybody else. In fact, Obama said on many different occasions, I don't want to be the black politician, right? Like I don't want my existence to be defined by being black because I've got to be president for everybody, which is a quintessentially you know, melting pot idea, the, the very essence of what I think America can represent at its best. By the time Hillary got the nomination in 2016, she didn't have Obama's political gifts. And so she basically made her entire campaign predicated on identity politics. If you're gay, you better support me because Donald Trump will put you back in the dark ages. If you're if you're black, you better support me. That's what Joe Biden's still running on. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you ain't black, you're not voting for me or you, you ain't black, you're not voting for me. All of that is explicit, direct identity politics related uh, you know, characterization in order for you to be willing to vote for him. And I think they they got the Obama uh, message distorted there. Obama, if you, and I wrote this in my, my most recent book, Obama was like, you know, the Cosby show before we knew what Bill Cosby had in his background, right? He was Michael Jordan. Uh, he was Will Smith, right? A, uh, a, a popular transcendent cultural figure who might have been a minority, but that was not the entirety of the reason why he had been successful, right? Bill Cosby, Will Smith, Michael Jordan, uh, Oprah Winfrey, if you want to point to all of those people, yes, they were black, but the reason they were successful was not defined by their blackness, right? Not it seems all. to me not that identity all. politics relies upon you succeeding only because of your race. And that is what, had, fortunately, the Democratic Party has embraced coming out of Obama. And they ran it with Hillary and they ran it with Biden. And I don't think it worked either time. In fact, Trump increased the amount of minority support he got in 2020. But the reason it worked for Biden was because he leaned into what I call the COVID fear porn and the people out there who were terrified of COVID ended up supporting him. Exactly. Uh, uh, Barack Obama, he's he's spoken out against this woke culture baloney saying that's right. What do you think you're not you're not some warrior when you sit there with your phone and your thumbs amen. trying to that's ruin right. people's lives. That's not activism. He, by the way, I saw him at. Um, oh, God, it was, I think, the Al Smith dinner in New York one time. And uh, he had he had a great opening. He stood up and he said, uh, this is, you know, they bring the candidates from both sides. And uh, he was yes. there. I think it was against McCain that year. And he goes, uh, my name's. Um, Barack Hussein Obama. My my first name was chosen by my mom and my middle name was chosen by someone who never thought I'd be running for president of the United States. <laughs> That's fantastic. But, he, but that was he's not on board part, with right? this nonsense, but his party has left the station. I mean, yes. normal Democrats, I think, are still holding on to like the old image of Barack Obama as they listen to, you know, people like Rashida Tlaib and AOC tell them they're awful. They're awful, too. You can be awful even if you're a Democrat, if you're not on board with the woke culture. So, all right, let me ask you this, though, because one of the things you've been talking about that I found really interesting is the media, what's going to happen to it now yes. that their their cash cow seems to be leaving. Um, it's yet among the many, the long list of people who are sort of saying we need unity and yet everyone on the right sucks is um, <laughs> CNN. OK, so CNN comes out this weekend. First of all, poor Don Lemon uh, tweeted out, I and I quote, I can't tell you how difficult it's been as a journalist to cover this dark part of our history. Let's hope the attacks on journalists, journalism, and everyone end. Time to move to the light. And out of the other side of his mouth, he said, by the way, Fox is state TV. 
And I know you responded. Dan Crenshaw tweeted out, oh, you poor thing. Let me forward your tweet to some of my buddies overseas so they can send you flowers. And then you <laughs> you said, dude, you put on makeup for a living and read a prompter on a television. So like you're really well paid. So just take a seat. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the the cluelessness amongst the media as to how hard they've had it, how divisive they've been and how much they're going to miss Donald Trump. Well, first of all, we, we are fortunate, right? You and I and anybody who gets to share our opinions for a living. My wife all the time says that the reason I carry myself like with so little weight on my shoulders is I basically every day have a three hour therapy session on the radio where I get to say every single thing I think, right? And by the time I yeah. finish my morning radio show, I stand up from my seat and I walk away. And I literally feel like I don't weigh anything, right? I told everybody exactly what I think. And I think there are so many Americans out there that are terrified to say what they really think. That's why over 70 million of them voted for Donald Trump. He is a voice in many ways for the voiceless, which circles back around to your point about Andrew Yang and, and the way that people are responding to him if they're a waiter uh, or they work in the normal life. Like Those people don't feel like they have a voice. So we are incredibly fortunate to have a voice and to be compensated well while having that voice. So the journalists out there who think that they have difficult jobs really need to see what the real world is. Like, I would love to see Don Lemon work on a road paving crew for a month and then right. be like, oh, you know what? Like, this is go down to Florida in June and work on paving a road and then come back and say, you know, sitting in an air conditioned studio reading out the teleprompter is a really difficult life that you have. I mean, come on. Well, meanwhile, uh, but, he doesn't mean it. He doesn't mean stop attacking attacking journalists yeah, and journalism. Not. He of he course. means people on his side. I mean, the, yeah, out of the, right. in the same breath, he called Fox State TV and his buddy Cuomo was saying, no, no, no one gets a pass. They lie to their viewers. They have to own up to it and be held to account. So there's not going to be unity there either. You know, it's just, oh, yeah, it's so not. false. And, and, and you and, tell and, me, because CNN was hanging on by a thread, never mind right. MSNBC, before Donald Trump took office, by a thread, not to mention the New York Times, the Washington Post. I mean, I really do wonder. I mean, there'll be some hangover effect when we start the new administration. But soon thereafter, people are going to go away because Joe Biden is many things, but sexy to watch on television is not one of them. Yeah, look, I think that let's go back in just a broad business perspective. And I've been writing and talking about this a lot in the world of sports, which is my, you know, sort of ballywick with ESPN. Uh, back in like 2012, ESPN had 100 million cable and satellite subscribers, Megan. So that was the peak, the apex of the cable satellite uh, industry, 100 million. The forecast now is that by 2024 or 2025, and this has certainly been accelerated by COVID, they're going to be down to around 50 million subscribers. So ESPN wow. just just fired 10% uh, of their overall staff. This is the third different major layoffs that they've had in the last five years. Their business is collapsing. The same thing is happening at CNN uh, to an extent at Fox News and at MSNBC. But in particular, let's like kind of look at their business prospects. You know, Fox News is going to be fine. You, you were a part of this. When the opposing party is in, is in power, that's typically good for conservative radio. That's typically good for conservative TV. Uh, people can go after Biden. They want to find somewhere to to you know convince themselves they're not insane. They want an opposition party. Fox News, I think, will be fine. But CNN and MSNBC, they needed Trump to win desperately more than any business almost out there. 
because he was their great Satan. The Trump derangement syndrome, the resistance, the, the fact that they basically went all in on hating Donald Trump and the members of his administration, nobody's going to tune into CNN or MSNBC now to watch Joe Biden, not to mention the news today about the vaccine. I mean, you would think based on the way CNN has covered COVID that, you know, all of us were going to die, that we had no hope of survival, you know, that this was uh, right. uh, the bubonic plague <laughs> that had swept right. across our nation. And as soon as the vaccines start being given and and Joe Biden comes into office, there's going to be no reason to watch either. And their businesses are going to collapse completely. And so I, I think it's a fascinating time in our media culture because you're out now and you're independent. You know, I've got Jason Whitlock with me. Whitlock uh, and I had a conversation. He's been with me for six months. He said, man, I had a television show in sports for, for four years. In the first six months without kick, I've got more influence. I had to sit down with the president of the United States. These uh, sort of large scale institutions are collapsing and being replaced with what I would say are more authentic, transparent, original and honest voices uh, across the media landscape. And I know you've been talking to a lot of people, but I see it with what we're doing at OutKick. I'm sure you're seeing it with the success that your podcast is having. You know, it used to be back in the day, they would say, if you leave ESPN, nobody will ever hear from you again, right? That's what they, that's what ESPN would tell the, the Colin Cowherds, the Aaron Andrews, the Skip Baylesses of the world. I think what we're saying, seeing is everybody has the ability to create their own platform. The means of distribution used to control the power. In other words, I'm sure they said this to you at some point. Hey, if you're not on Fox or NBC, nobody's going to care what you say. I think that's never been less true. I mean, Joe Rogan mm -hmm. is more influential than almost anybody. Uh, and I think we're going to see a lot more original voices who have more freedom to say exactly what they believe, which I like to believe optimistically and a bullish case will lead to a further flourishment of the marketplace of ideas, which is a repudiation of this cancel culture which has been embraced by so much of the mainstream media. Well, I love what you're doing at OutKick. And I thought it was interesting. I didn't know that you were a lifelong Democrat up until 2016, right? You voted. Did you yes. Did you vote for Trump in 2016? No, I didn't. I voted. So I, I try to be. So I'm curious what you think about this idea, too. When I started to become a public figure at all, and I was writing and, you know, small, I was like, I'm just going to try to be as honest as I possibly can. So in tw I started giving all of my uh presidential votes, right? I would just say, hey, this is what I'm voting. I don't expect you to agree or disagree, but I want to give you full transparency as to where I'm coming from so you can make a decision. So uh, I, I I worked on the Al Gore presidential campaign in 2000. So when I was wow. a college student at GW, uh, I'm from Tennessee, like Al Gore was. Uh, I was a Bill, I liked Bill Clinton. Um, so my first election vote in 2000 was Al Gore. Uh, then I went to law school, started practicing law, um, you know, consider myself to be, you know, a fairly moderate middle of the road guy. I mean, a Southern Democrat, which used to exist, by the way. Um, and then like the Democratic Party just left me, you know, in the years ahead. So by 2016, I, I didn't like Hillary's campaign. I liked Obama. As I mentioned before, I liked what he was trying to, uh, to sell. I liked his story and I thought he did a pretty good job. I liked uh, his intelligence, his ability to handle two contradictory ideas and try to work through them like lawyers should, like you and I were trained to do. Uh, by 2016, I was on to Gary Johnson and uh, I wrote a piece, uh, you know, last or I guess a couple of days before the election endorsing Trump and explaining why I was voting for him. And it had to do with cancel culture. It had to do with my fear that Joe Biden's going to shut down the country over these Corona bros, as I call them, fear. 
I think we have to stand up to China. Um, I, I don't agree in tearing down monuments and all this craziness. So mm-hmm. I, I laid out five pretty substantial factors, and Trump uh, answers the call for me on the issues that, that I think are, are most paramount right now. I think he would have been a better president in 2020 than Biden will, uh, and I'm disappointed that he lost. But yeah, I, the Democratic Party has left me, um, and so but, but I, I don't really fit. I don't fit well in either party necessarily, but I fit better in the Republican Party. Well, I hear that. I don't fit well either, but it's it's nice to be sort of in independent territory. And I don't know much about sports, as you know, we talked about it, but I do like that there's an answer to this far left ESPN. You know, you can I first name outkick because I saw I saw Jason Whitlock and I was like, who is this guy? What's he saying? Well, he doesn't sound like the rest of the anchors on ESPN talking about sports. And I started to find out about you and then I started listening to your podcast and I realized, okay, you know, they're not everybody in sports like we find out in news and academia and so on, not everybody is far left. Like, and you, you've been sort of holding them to account. I mean, you, you were just talking about uh, college basketball. Okay. So this is how clueless I am. All right. So college basketball. Now they're, they're going to play, they're going to play this winter indoors, right. After lecturing the nation about how dangerous it is. And, you know, remember, remember the one guy who called for college football to be played outside had to issue that self-flagellating apology about what a racist he must be to call for football outside in the fall. Yes. Now, yes. how things turn. This is before we heard about today's news on the vaccine. Now it's like back indoors, all is well. Why did that happen, Clay? Sports media has gone so insanely far left wing, Megan, that me arguing that we should find a way to play sports, people were like, oh, that's Clay Travis. He's all right. And I'm like, I'm in favor of sports being played. <laughs> You know, like how in the world did it become political if you are a sports guy to be like, hey, we need to figure out a way, even though COVID is here, to play sports, right? And so I was and have been the most aggressively proponent in finding a way to play sports. And you know who's with me? Most athletes and most owners and most most, uh, players. But do you know, coaches for sure, do you know how many of those people feel comfortable going out? I mean, Megan, this is crazy. I am the only person. So I do a uh, sports gambling show on FS1, which is the uh, ESPN version of Fox Sports, right? We're on cable uh, every day, Monday through Friday. I am the only person on air at Fox Sports, CBS Sports, NBC Sports, or ESPN to come out and say I'm voting for Donald Trump. When I said that, and the reason I could do it is because I own OutKick, and if somebody decides, hey, you're not able to be on television anymore because you're not left-leaning enough, I can just be like, screw you guys, I'll you know, just run my own business and be fine. But, uh, but when I came out and said that, Megan, my phone and my DMs, it was like it was like I was uh, pulling, you know, like a, it, it, was, it was like I was in a casino pulling the handle. Like it was just a constant roar of people who are in sports media who are athletes, coaches, players. Uh, it was unbelievable. Uh, media members, everybody lining up and saying, hey, I'm also voting for Trump, but I'm terrified mm-hmm. to be able to say it publicly. And so right. what the irony you're pointing to is you had a situation where people were saying, oh, it's too dangerous to play college football outdoors in the fall. People fought it, what I call the Corona Bros in sports media. They fought it for months. We were having battles every day. Uh, for months about whether or not you can play college sports this fall or the NFL or the NBA or NHL, anything else, right? Now college basketball is coming back. Starting in a couple of weeks, they're playing indoors in the middle of winter and nobody is fighting against it. And so a lot of this was political. 
but also it was just founded on blatant lies and what I also call fear porn. Like it, it, it's absolute insanity where the sports media has been and the fact that so many people are afraid of saying what they actually think, even in my industry, is uh, I, I think it would blow people's minds if they knew some of the people out there who are big Trump people uh, that are like, oh, my God, I, I've just been terrified to even admit it. It's so wrong. Honestly, I always think we're becoming East German. And when I hear these stories, you're allowed to like Trump. You're allowed to have your own opinions. You're not bad just because you don't agree with these far left wokesters. And I wonder, you know, I had Mark Cuban on the on the oh, yeah. show and we talked about Black Lives Matter being, you know, painted on the courts and all the social messaging on the jerseys of the players. And, you know, he spent the time telling me none of that amounted to any sort of ratings problems for the NBA. And later that same day, the the head guy of the of the NBA released a statement saying, eh, never mind, we're going to take that off the court and we're going to take yeah, those off yeah. the jerseys because like we've heard our fans that they don't want politics in sports. So, you know, the, the, the jig was up, right? He gave it up. But what do you think? I mean, what kind of impact do you think that sort of political messaging in sports had on the losses we saw on the Democrats down ballot? You know, like people may have said, I'm not, I'm not too keen on Trump and some of his rhetoric, but. They didn't take the Senate. They, again, are going to hold the smallest majority in 18 years in the House. Um, they they lost down ballot at the state level uh, across the United States. So do you think that had something to do with it, as this as Representative Spanberger says? I think it did. Uh, I, I think the, the representative out of Virginia is 100 percent right. Um, and look, I, I talk to people in the middle part of the country all day, every day. Right. We're on in all 50 states, 300 uh, stations. But, you know. I, I sort of consider myself to be the average sports fan, right? That's, that's what I am. You know, I, I want to watch a game uh, on the weekend. I want to kick my feet up. I want to have a beer. And I just want to escape the serious things in my life through sports. Most of us become sports fans because when we're in school, you know, like it's what we get to do when we finish our homework. Uh, it is the dessert of life is a good way of putting it for many of us out there. I and finally understand. Turn... This is like my Real Housewives. I'm, yeah, I'm getting all, that's it. So my wife sits around and watches Real Housewives all day. That's <laughs> you know my my uh, that's a hundred percent right, right? Um, and uh, and so if you tell me, you know, I, I've got three young kids, and I know you do too. If if I tell my kids, hey, you do everything well today, we're going to go get ice cream, and then I get them in the car and I pull up in front of a you know like a Whole Foods and we go in and we get broccoli stalks. My kids are going to be like, what, dad, you told us if we were good all day, we got ice cream and you just took us to Whole Foods and we went and got broccoli stalks. This isn't fair. We don't want this. Like sports is dessert. And so if you are not understanding why people consume your product, you're in a, you got a difficult situation. And I think, uh, honestly, Megan, athletes have gotten so highly paid. They've forgotten where their salaries come from, you know? If fans tune out, eventually athletes make a lot less money. And uh, I think that there's such a disconnect between the average fan and the average athlete in a way that there wasn't even back in the 80s or the 90s. Like you would, they made good money, but they didn't make $40 million a year, right? Like the, the overall salaries have continued to escalate. And a big part of that, honestly, is going to be challenged by the collapsing cable and satellite bundle and ESPN. And if, if you're intrigued by that story, I really have spent a lot of time at OutKick writing about it. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's the biggest issue is you got to know why people consume your product, right? 
And people consume your product if you're a sports in the sports business to escape the serious things in life. And if you start sending the serious things in life to them over and over again, they'll put on Netflix. You know, there's never been more opportunities for entertainment in our history as a nation. And suddenly sports has forgotten why people are there. It's because it's the dessert of life. It's the toy chest uh, of, of, of life. You know, you, you go to the sports page to feel good about yourself typically. And I think a lot of sports journalists and certainly athletes and teams have lost that touch with reality. Mm, not me. I go there to feel dumb and to think, oh God, I should have paid more attention with my earlier boyfriends. Um, okay, now wait, I want to ask you about Corona Bros and Corona because there is yes. big news today. Pfizer it has announced that it has a COVID vaccine, that it is over 90% effective. They've had large-scale clinical trials. So far, no serious safety concerns, they say. And they say they're going to seek authorization in the United States this month for emergency use. So, A, I'm sure you're going to have a lot of people saying, oh, sure, you know, a week after the election, you know. Yeah, six days. Yes. How does that, how is this going to change politics and the other things we've been talking about in our country now? Because, you know, one of one of the things that had us so divided was the the threat of lockdowns and the mask yes. shaming and you know i mean honestly my my kid like there she's going to school she cannot speak during lunch while she eats my little boys <laughs> they they have to run around playing basketball at sports and recess with their masks on which our pediatrician says is dangerous a lot yes. of kids still not even in school at all and these jerks are out there protesting or celebrating the Joe Biden win. And I actually have no problem. The Trump people, they're out out there celebrating him at the rallies, but they're not lecturing us. They're not turning around and scolding the rest of us to wear our masks, wear our masks. Well, screw you. So how do you think this is going to affect the country? Big question. So let me hit, first of all, to your point about people celebrating Biden's election uh, or uh, calling by the, uh, the networks. What is fascinating to me is the same night, and I know you're not a huge sports fan, but Notre Dame won a massive game against Clemson in double overtime. And they had 11,000 students and and faculty and fans that were present in that stadium. And they stormed the field to celebrate, right? They all left their seats and they they had a picture. And the Corona Bros, as I call them, and, and that term, by the way, originated back in March and April when there were so many people on social media, it felt like to me, rooting for COVID, right? Like rooting for Corona to expand. The minute there was a negative story, they were everywhere. Like, oh my God, we're never going to be able to leave again. You know, like they kind of came out of the fetid waters of uh, of Reddit and, uh, you know, they were just everywhere. You know, like, oh my God, this is going to kill everyone. This is a disaster. And so I was like, well, who are these people that are like rooting for Corona all the time? Like they were in my, so I started <laughs> just kind of ridiculing them. And then we've made it an all encompassing aspect for like, people who refuse to live their lives and like lock themselves in their basement, you know, for months at a time, the Corona bro community, which obviously supported Joe Biden overwhelmingly. Um, But so they would call out, they were like, Oh, this is beautiful. It's so great to see democracy winning. Look at this video of all these celebrating Biden supporters. And then the same people, Megan, were like, Oh, this is totally unacceptable when the Notre Dame students stormed the field to celebrate their win. Well, either a gathering of joyful people on Saturday is acceptable or it isn't. You can't make a decision like, oh, it's fine to have a Black Lives Matter protest, but you can't protest the lockdown. It's not as if COVID makes a decision 
based on the politics of the people who are out in the streets on whether or not to spread, you know, predicated on what they are celebrating or opposing or anything else. So that got me all kind of fired up. Mm -hmm. Clay, Travis, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. I loved it. Congratulations on your new show's success and happy to come on whenever. And thanks for coming on mine. I thought we had a good combo then and now. Uh, Appreciate you. I loved it. If you haven't heard my interview with Clay, please check it out because honestly, it was like one of my favorite interviews I did while launching the pod. It's so thoughtful. You're such a great interviewer. So happy to know you. Talk to you soon. For sure. Thank you. In one minute, we're going to be joined by Dennis Prager. I'm looking forward to this. But first, I want to tell you about ZipRecruiter. Businesses have had to be flexible this year, as you know, from working remotely to pivoting their business models for long-term survival and growth. Gosh, here in New York City, the restaurants are moving all their downing, dining outdoors. They've added takeout and catering, and they are struggling just to stay afloat. And it's been a Herculean feat to watch. So if you're in charge of hiring for your business, these pivots have not made your life any easier, especially if you've had to hire for brand new roles. Thankfully, there is one place that you can always count on to make all of that hiring faster and easier, and it's ZipRecruiter.com slash MK. They'll alleviate some of the burdens that you're dealing with during this time. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job boards with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter's powerful technology will find people with the right skills and experience for your job and will actively invite them to apply. They don't just let it sit there. They're going to give them a digital shoulder tap like, hey, check this out. It's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See for yourself right now. You can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com MK. That's ZipRecruiter.com MK. Let ZipRecruiter take hiring off your plate so you can focus on growing your business. Go to ZipRecruiter.com MK. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And now, Dennis Prager, the brilliant Dennis Prager. He hosts the Dennis Prager Show, um, and he also founded Prager University, which I didn't know what that was, Dennis, for a long I'm like, what is it, an actual university? Because there's no conservative universities except for like two in the United States. And then I realized it's an online university where you can educate yourself in a non-hard left way about our country, our history. You've got sort of self-help stuff on there. It's a really great one-stop shop to try to counterbalance some of the indoctrination you or your kids are going to get as they come up, even at the grade school level. Well, it's great to be with you, Megan. Thank you. And as regards Prager, you just want your many listeners to know we have over 1 billion views a year. 65% of those who are watching us are under the age of 35. And it has made a, a difference, thank God, because we need it. Uh, what it gives that the university doesn't give is wisdom. And I could spend the uh, whole time with you talking about wisdom, but I know you have other uh, uh, ideas, so I'm with you. <laughs> well, I highly recommend it. If you want just a quick, you know, quick education, a lot of them are nice and short. You can ingest all a lot five of amount of information yep. in a short amount of time. Um, check it out, because I'm sure you'll find some good headlines on there. All right. So <laughs> can we just start first with the, the theme of the day, which is this call for unity and healing. In fact, there was a pronouncement that it's happened by Vice President Biden, now President-elect Biden, that uh, a nation healed, a nation unified, and the left wing freaking out that me and others 
would say, mm, mm, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not so sure. What do you think? I have noted for all of my broadcast life, 35 years, that calls for unity are almost always either disingenuous or naive. It sounds great. I would love Americans to unite around the uh, three principles of America, liberty, e pluribus unum, and God we trust. I think that would be awesome. So that's my vision. But I'll tell you when I learned that it wasn't real. Uh, my first radio show, I was the moderator of, of clergymen. People would discuss religion for two hours. Ironically or interestingly, it was the most popular show in Los Angeles. I began on LA radio and I became national in 99. Anyway, I was the moderator. It was a priest, minister, rabbi, Protestant, Catholic, Jew. And then I expanded it to every other religion in the world. So every so often, a Protestant minister would call for Christian unity. So I would ask him, really, are, are you prepared to accept the, uh, the primacy of the, the Pope, the Bishop of Rome? He said, well, no, uh, you know, uh, not, not really. And I would ask the Catholic, oh, so are you prepared for, for Christian unity to give up the papacy and, the, uh, and the, the belief that the Pope is the vicar of Christ on earth? No, well, we can't do that. So uh, everybody calls for unity on his own terms. That's why it's not honest. Exactly right. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. That's that's what we're seeing right now. It's like, you listen, you've got commentators who nobody's ever heard of, like this guy Toure, who used to have a show on MSNBC coming out and saying, and I quote, I hope the pain and anxiety the Trump supporters feel now is excruciating. And then, you know, other commentators uh, are saying, absolutely not. Heal, heal, heal. Love, unity. Uh, you know, don't you feel it? But then we get that announcement that they are literally creating blacklists and not just for people who worked in the Trump administration, which would be bad enough, but for anyone who supported him. Let me read you a little bit from this Trump accountability group that is coming after uh, all of his supporters. First, they start out by saying, we, we should welcome, we should welcome our fellow Americans with whom we differ politically. Ah, ah, lovely little violins playing. Then it goes on. But we should not allow the following groups of people to profit from their experience. And the category, the first category is those who elected him. <laughs> so, so half the country sh should be punished. And they say explicitly, you, you know, th they don't, they wanted them on a list. And one of the guys in this group came out and got specific and said a warning, a warning to publishers considering signing anyone who led a campaign to get Americans to hate each other, i.e. people who supported President Trump. You will face a massive boycott led by the Trump Accountability Project, not just of this book, but of your entire library. Unity, we're healed. I mean, it's so absurd. Well, you know, uh, there is no totalitarian group in history that I am a student of totalitarianism. There is no totalitarian group, the communist Nazis being the most obvious in the 20th century, that did not call for unity. And, of course, punish those who didn't go along with their unity. <laughs> so th th they are following textbook communism. This, uh, I have never called the left communist, the, le the American left communist, until this year. 
when I realize what they want to do and, and uh, change our, our curricula to, uh, to propaganda, uh, the punishment of people who differ, uh, as you are mentioning right now, and the, uh, the totalitarian nature of the press. I, uh, my field of study, uh, graduate school at Columbia, was uh, the Soviet Union, uh, communism. And I learned Russian solely in order to read Pravda, the Soviet communist newspaper, which I read every day. Wow. And uh, I, I, I want to tell you something, Megan, that uh, I, I learned only in the last few years, and I really thought I knew uh, a lot about totalitarianism. I believed that the press can brainwash people only in a totalitarian state. And I have learned in the sad, I've come to the sad realization that the press can brainwash people in a free country. And that is what we have at this time. Well, it's, it's getting serious because, you know, I was talking earlier to Clay Travis and we were making a distinction. He, he was a lifelong Democrat until the Trump administration. We were making a distinction between the left, capital L, and liberals, you know, and I know you, you're always careful to do this too. And I, I want to make that clear too. Liberals, I think a lot of them, most of them, I think are horrified at what this far left is trying to do to our country, but they're afraid too. They're afraid just like Republicans are that they're going to be called bigots and awful if they speak up about what's happening in our universities and in media you know, you've pointed out in art, in music, in art, like it goes on the list of things that they are trying to co-opt and control is getting scary. Well, that's right. And the key problem is the liberal. If the liberal understood that the left is its enemy, not the right, America would have a great reason, great, great reasons for hope. The liberal believes that you and I, uh, that conservatives are their enemy, when in fact the left is their enemy. Liberals and conservatives share a love of America, share a belief in being colorblind, share a belief that capitalism is the only economic system that raises people out of poverty. Liberals and conservatives support Israel. I mean, the we have everything in common except the uh, extent of government, which is fine. People can differ on that. But the left has nothing in common. The left believes in all black dormitories. I, I was raised a liberal Democrat. I was taught to believe in racial integration. Only the Ku Klux Klan and the left believe in all black dormitories. And yet the liberals vote for the left. That's the great tragedy of American life today. The liberals have wimped out in the battle for freedom. Well, I'll tell you, I'm I'm an independent. I voted Democrat and I voted Republican throughout the course of my life. I was actually laughing because I was talking to my husband, Doug. I voted in eight presidential elections, given my age. And um, I've been wrong in five of them. I've picked the loser in five and I've only gotten the winner in three. But I don't care. I'm voting, you know, my conscience. But even being an independent, and I certainly lean more right than I do left, but I have plenty of things that I'm, I'm toying with on the center left that I, you know, I'm open-minded to. That's not enough. Like you, I feel like a far right person now, you know, it's like, I, it seems like the other side is getting farther and farther away and I can barely see them. I'm if like, come back, come back. If you don't agree with them on one thing, you are an enemy. 
That's why I call them uh, the American form of communism. Uh, unfortunately, most people having gone to college have not learned much of history, but Stalin, the great mass murderer of the Soviet Union, called Trotsky, the man who founded the Red Army. Uh, he and Lenin were the founders of, the, of communism in uh, Russia. And uh, he called Trotsky a fascist because he opposed Stalin. So uh, this is very old. Uh, there's a great biblical verse. The left is a land that eats its own inhabitants. It's a, it's a statement, a, a land that eats its own inhabitants in the Bible, and it's a great line. And that's what the left does. People think they'll go along, but then they vary in one way, and they will be shut down. This um, freedom in the U.S. has never been threatened, a, a, a freedom of speech, never. This is the first uh, attack on, on a, a freedom of speech in American history. And it is all coming from the left because the left never allows dissent. Never. There is no exception from Lenin uh, to uh, the university in the United States. They do not allow dissent. Well, this so is what we saw. If, 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 in... if, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I just want to say this. If, if Joe Biden is serious about unity, uh, I will cheer for him in front of the White House if he says it is time for the tech companies to allow all voices then I'll know he's serious. Mm -hmm. Good point. I mean, this is this is one of the themes of No Safe Spaces, which I've mentioned on the show before. It's a film about you and Adam Carolla going from college campus to college campus to encourage students to not run to safe spaces, which are totally inaptly named. Um, and, you know, to sort of get out of their comfort zone and, and listen to ideas that might offend or intrigue or be contrarian to their own beliefs. And along the way, you encounter a lot of stories that underscore just how divided we are and how people are getting their own words shoved down their throat that should be completely non-controversial. I mean, I, I told this to Adam Carolla when he was here, and I'll tell it to you too. I, I saw a screening of it by Mark Joseph. He's the director and, and the guy who produced it. And I cried. I sat in my seat and I cried. I had tears running down my face as I watched it because of what's happened to our country and how we bully one another. I mean, I, I have to be honest, it's not that. It's it's these leftists who are bullying people into submission on thought and even their own. You know, that's how Brett Weinstein became a household name or, you know, at least for that's people it. who are political. A land that this eats its inhabitants. Yeah, he's a he's a leftist professor from Evergreen Evergreen College in well, Washington he's a State and he Right. And, and he got eaten alive. He lost his job because he wasn't quite liberal enough. Well, uh, I, I, I hope all of your uh, listeners watch the movie. The movie is great. It's not great because I'm in it. I'm in a great movie. I always tell people that. And your reaction about crying, you'll also laugh at, the, at it. But it is a wake up call to what is happening. By the way, that's another subject, which certainly we could do another time if you want. Uh, and that is, what do you do? Do you send your child to college? I mean, this is a very serious question. The number of people I meet whose children are alienated from them because college taught them that their father or their mother is a racist is very, very large in this country. You are, you are playing Russian roulette with your child's values. 
if you send your child to college and now high school. I'm not saying the kids should not study. I, I uh, you know, my life is devoted to, to the, the life of the mind. But uh, the life of the mind is crushed in high school and college now. Uh, people, it's a terrible dilemma for a parent. And I think a lot of the, what, what people may have to do, look, your kid, I don't mean your kid, but maybe your kid, any kid will be taught in almost any public school today and any private school for that matter that America was founded in 1619. The New York Times lie about America's founding. It is now in 3,000 schools. You want your child to learn to hate this country? Send them to school. Oh, it's, it's already happening. I mean, my kids are in first grade, fourth grade, and fifth grade, and the reports they come home with are jaw-dropping. I mean, uh, last year, my oldest child was a fourth grader, and they were... Um, learning about the American Revolution. And he came home and said, I could name, it was either nine or 12 slaves who made a, a difference in the war. And he could tell you exactly where and when they did it and their names and so on. And I said, that's that's awesome. Did they mention anything about George Washington? No. <laughs> and then just last week, my daughter came home. They were talking about the election. And she said, um, well, the, my teacher said that Donald Trump is mean and Joe Biden is nice and that Democrats want to help people who are hurting and Republicans don't. OK, so this is just very basic talk, right, for nine year old girls. But you have to actively counter program. And, and only because we've been doing that do my kids even know to come home and report that stuff to me. Otherwise, if, if you don't do that, it'll have no flag on it for your kid and they'll just accept it because that's what kids do when they're nine. That's right. That's why we founded PragerU, and that's why uh, in, a, in a couple of years you should show them PragerU videos. I will. It's, I hundred percent will. It, it, yes. No. I know. It's it's the way to counteract it. We have four Pulitzer Prize winners, three former prime ministers, professors from Oxford, Harvard, Stanford, Yale. I mean, we have a pretty distinguished faculty of people who give these five minute courses, but they need an intellectual antidote. Have they had drag queen story hour yet, your kids? No, oh God, no. Thankfully, that's not happening. And they're not, my kids are not going to that. And honestly, it's nothing against drag queens, but I don't want my kid being exposed to that. There's a time and a place. I think I was thirty the first time I ever saw a drag queen show. That's, that's plenty. Right. That's exactly well. But you, uh, you've left... been trying this. But even your, even your video, wasn't it, it? It got pulled from a high school offering. There was a there was an assignment that kids should consider any video from any conservative website and one was pulled i guess from prager you and some one parent freaked out and that was the end of that that's right mommy high school outside of toledo the school to its credit said we have to expose our children to various ways of looking at life and so one teacher said for extra credit you should uh, watch a PragerU video, any one of your choice. We have 450 of them. They could have chosen a video on, on how uh, to forgive people, <laughs> given, given by a religious psychiatrist. I mean, you know, they could have taken anything. But one parent freaked out, and now the school, uh, so then they had uh, 200 alumni say, you cannot show any conservative uh, videos, obviously including PragerU. You cannot. It, 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 and, and the school has, uh, has, of course, relented. It's sad to me. And honestly, this problem and what I saw in No Safe Spaces and how much it affected me, 
those are the reasons I launched this show. I resolved at the end of that movie to fight, to fight for the First Amendment, the ability to express oneself freely and without absurd, unforeseeable penalty, penalties, and, and to stand up for people who, you know, we've been talking about who don't feel like they can say anything publicly. They're worried about their livelihood. They're worried about their kids' school and teachers turning on them. They're worried about their friends turning on them. And th sometimes you can feel like you really are alone since so many institutions have been co-opted by the left, you know, from sports to art to publishing to the media to Hollywood. It could go on. But so many inputs are controlled now by the left and conservatives they don't have much, Dennis. I mean, what do conservatives control? Ourselves. <laughs> That's the irony. That's what we control. We don't want to control other people. That's a very big difference. We want to, we want to be left alone to lead a life devoted to what we think is important, our families, in some of our cases, our religion as well, to doing good in our community, to supporting a family. We just want to be left alone. We find meaning in life without revolution. The left all, all through history have, have been a soulless people. They fill their soullessness with politics, with revolution. Of course, it's toward no end. The purpose of leftism is chaos. It took me a lifetime of study to realize this. And what did it was when I was told by the ACLU that I have to say, have to say, men give birth. If you don't say men give birth, you're an evil human being. And then I realized, oh my God, we have truly, we have, we have transcended Orwell that you must say that. I was on Bill Maher's show uh, last fall, uh, so a year ago. And, and I, you know, they were, the whole panel, of course, was on the left and the whole audience is on the left. And to Bill's credit, he invited me and uh, he said, oh, Trump's lies. I said, Trump's lies don't compare to the left's lies. He goes, oh, really? Like what? I said, like America is racist. And so it's a, a gigantic lie. There are racists in America, but America is the least racist multiracial country in human history, which is why 3 million black Africans have moved here in the last 20 years. They know how little racism there is in America, so they, they do anything to move here. And, and, and I'll give you another example. Men menstruate. So he, so Bill Maher cracks up. Men menstruate. Who the hell said that? The whole audience is laughing at me. And now, with less than a year, you can't laugh at the statement men menstruate. Mm -hmm. No, it's true. You can't. Um, the, the erosion, in some ways, of womanhood in an attempt to widen a tent and be accepting of trans women concerns me. I, I am somebody who knows trans folks and I have a couple in my own family and I've been as accepting and loving as any person possibly could be, but I don't want to have to say that men menstruate. I still believe in something called women <laughs> and I don't want to be told I can't say that or be told by the TED Talk people that I now need to spell women W. O-M-X-N, or that I'm a bigot. It, it's Or that I'm a bigot if I have questions about a trans girl competing against cis girls, meaning girls who are born girls and always identify as girls, in, in high school sports. But it, it really is getting 
I say again, scary because you don't, I mean, if I feel that way, Dennis, and I've got this platform and I've, you know, I've certainly taken more than, more than enough slings and arrows to have some tough skin. Imagine what my imaginary viewer Madge feels in Iowa, who's like every input she has, at least outside the state of Iowa is you're bad. If you think anything like that, you're bad. If you don't, if you don't believe men menstruate and you really need to expand your horizons and educate yourself, right? That's what they keep telling us. You need to educate yourself. But then when somebody tries to educate themselves with a video from PragerU, bigots, shut it down. Somehow the alt-right has gotten its nose into the tent of academia. So where does this go? Where, uh, how well, do we I, get out of this? Uh, well, the only way is to fight. Uh, and, you know, you said something earlier and I didn't, I obviously, I didn't want to interrupt, but it was, uh, I, I would have loved to say at the moment, you said, you know, we're, we're, we're alone or conservatives feel alone, non-leftists. I, that's even more accurate. And then you look at the votes, half the country is with us and we feel alone. Isn't that, that's a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. We're gigantic in numbers, gigantic and yet, because they ha- are able to intimidate through the, they have captured every institution. Now sports, late night comedy, there is nothing left, nothing. So that's why people, half the country feels alone. It's a phenomenon. Well, I think it's a problem because, you know, when we say fight, I, I agree with you. I mean, your movie made me want to do that, but I don't exactly know what to say to Madge, you know, who really could get fired. I, I'm financially I- I secure. I'm independent, so I can do it. And that's one of the reasons I feel I must. But people need their paychecks. And now they really are getting fired if they don't say that's the right. right things about Black Lives Matter, if they don't want to sit and see their country re-racialized in these critical race theory sessions, which are coming back, Biden has promised. That, so what are they supposed to do? It's the biggest dilemma that I confront. People have called me for years. What do I tell my daughter in in college? If she writes what she believes, she'll get a, a very low grade. And if she uh, if she goes along with the professor's views, she'll get a she'll get an A or whatever. So I'll tell you my answer, but I fully understand the dilemma. My answer is to tell her that I would tell my child. Look, if you compromise on what you believe for a grade, what won't you compromise on your beliefs for? So I, I, I believe that people need to fight. I have a, a, a saying, the good people are divided into three groups. Those who fight, those who help the fighters, and those who do nothing. Those who do nothing are the biggest of the three groups. And those who help the fighters are as valuable as those who fight. I'm a fighter, but the people who help me and who help Prager you and, and so on, they are just as valuable as, as my fighting. But you get, you get one life, and uh, I, I don't believe that I want to die having played it safe. Guy, the number of Americans and others who died for liberty, number of Americans who died for America, died. Not, not, not got ostracized from Facebook, died, is very large. 
So what am I prepared to do to sacrifice for liberty? That's a question people need to ask. It is clearly a time where sacrifice is needed. It's too bad that it is, but that is, that is the way it is in the United States at this time. Well said. Dennis Prager, thank you so much. I hope you'll come back. I would be delighted. Thank you so much. All the best. Wow. He's so articulate. He, he nailed it, didn't he? Like he, he put into words what I think a lot of us have been feeling, except much more articulately. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about you, but I feel a little dejected by the challenge ahead, but also just as inspired to fight. I, and it was funny because my assistant was telling me that some people, Abby, you guys are getting to know her now, but she was telling me that one of her friends texted her, um, did Megan's Twitter get hacked? Because <laughs> I was just going off yesterday. I was on a tear. And no, my my Twitter did not get hacked. It is me. It is all me. And I, I'm ready to fight. I'm I'm done with the bullshit. I really am. I'm done. I'm done on my own behalf and I'm done on your behalf. And people who don't like that don't have to follow me on Twitter or here. And people who do can and should because I got you. I totally got you and I hope you're in it with me. Uh, listen, my thanks to Dennis Prager, the brilliant Dennis Prager, and to Clay Travis, such a thoughtful guy fighting his own battles in the world of sports, which he stands alone. Outkick stands alone. Um, before we go, got to get this in. Today's episode was brought to you in part by ZipRecruiter. For the smart way to hire, use ZipRecruiter today. And to learn more, go to ZipRecruiter.com MK. Now, check it out. Thank you all so much for listening and for trusting us during these strange times. And remember, right, it's unity, maybe, or liberty. Up to you. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. The Megan Kelly Show is a Devil May Care media production in collaboration with Red Seat Ventures.